Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, writer and director Harry McQueen on his new touching Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci movie, Supernova. We review the new Lin-Manuel Miranda movie musical, In the Heights, and Kevin Hart in his bid for sincerity in Fatherhood. Plus, director of the National Virus Reference Laboratory and Neffet member Killian de Gascoon on his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm, right here on News Talk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Lots of people in touch all week saying that they'd gone to see A Quiet Place 2 in the cinema and had really enjoyed it. And it was a great movie to be back in the cinema with. And also a lot of people saying they've caught up with Mayor of Easttown and The Kaminsky Method, two shows I've been raving about ad nauseum. But uh, a lot of people took my recommendations and no one came back and complained. So I think that's a win. Now, in TV, I was watching this. Right, I've had an email inviting me to enter the Farmer of the Year Award. Why would I not do that? Oh, no! (laughs) How did I get into it? I bought a farm and a tractor. This is a Lamborghini R8. Oh, hello. Too big. Quite large. It's quite big. Jeremy, whoa, whoa! If he says my tractor is too big, I'm going to kill him. Tractor's too bloody big! Who is involved and in what capacity? Caleb is involved. His job is to shout at me. You're pretty much screwed. That's as straight as a roundabout! And Charlie, who shouts at me. That's damage. You've got to stop doing it. What steps have you taken to upskill? There is no such word as upskill. Yeah, now that is a clip of Clarkson's Farm. You may have heard about this. You may already have watched it. It's been on Amazon, I think, a week now. Clarkson's Farm. Jeremy Clarkson, who, who I'm a fan of, you know, racing around cars, in cars, screaming. You know, it worked for me all those years. He's also a pretty good host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, it has to be said. He's an entertaining host on that. So he knows what he's doing. Now, in this show... As I say, you've probably heard about this. He owned a farm, a thousand acres in the Cotswold. And then the guy who looked after it for him retired. So he decides he's going to farm it. Plus, he's going to make a TV show out of it. And he buys tractors and he has people working with him. And he, you know, pretends to know nothing about anything. And you can tell by my voice, this didn't really do it for me. I I really thought this was just Jeremy Clarkson going, oh, I know what I'll do for a TV show. I'll take over a farm. It feels very forced in that way, I have to say. And as I say, I'm a fan of his. But I I watched a few episodes of this and it just didn't hold my interest. You could you could see the rivets. They were too clearly trying to make a TV show, you know, and manufacturing things going wrong and all. So it's a thumbs down for me for Clarkson's Farm. And I don't go in for a huge amount of giving the thumbs down to things on this show because I figure, what's the point? Let's all move on. But I'm saying Clarkson's Farm is best avoided. Now, in the cinemas this week, I was back again. I'll be back every week, God willing, or the clutch of luck willing. And uh, I was watching this. All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. 
It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In un barrio called Washington Heights. The streets were made of music. I am Usnavi, and you probably never heard my name. Reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated. Morning, Usnavi. Pan caliente, café con leche. On these blocks, you can't walk two steps without bumping into someone's big plan. I'm making moves, I'm making deals, but guess what? What? You still ain't got no skills. <laughs> I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank this day. This is gonna be an emotional roller coaster. The odds are against you. But there's a chance, right? Now that is a clip from In the Heights, the new musical by the famed uh, Lynn manuel Miranda, who gave us Hamilton, which was wildly successful and is available to watch as a stage show on Disney Plus now. This is basically the movie version of his original uh, play, musical, that he wrote back in 2005. And it's all about a community in the Heights, in Washington Heights, particularly a Latin community, Dominicans, Cubans, in the Washington Heights network or uh, part of Manhattan. And it's a gang of characters. There's a chap who's desperate to move back to the Dominican Republic and open a bar. There's a young girl who's gone off to Harvard or Stanford, I think it is, and she's back in the neighbourhood and it's not really working for her. There's a girl who wants to be an upmarket or uptown fashion designer wants to leave the heights but at the same time the community in this is a big part of it and they kind of nourish each other and they're out to help each other uh so it's it, it's all about i guess you know a, a village or a community raising children uh now it's a musical and i am just not a fan of musicals never have been i adore music i adore movies obviously but i've never seen the point of putting them together have dialogue don't sing dialogue so i went off to see this last friday with a heavy heart because i really didn't enjoy hamilton and i wasn't looking forward to this sitting in the cinema for two hours on a sunny day now poor me you might say as brendan o'carroll said to me once you know there's some guy lifting sacks of coal off a truck in cabra get over yourself so it's no biggie that I had to sit in the cinema. But I was just saying I wasn't looking forward to it. And I was pleasantly surprised by this. It, it, it kind of gave me a warm glow. The characters are all very appealing. The music is great because it's very modern. It's hip-hop. It's soul. There's not that much of the classical, I shall go. Or you know what I mean. Pardon my musical impression there. But it the music really hangs together well. And the characters are very warm. And there's... Maybe it's a criticism, but there's no there's no real enemies in the piece. It, it's all about people overcoming stuff in their own lives, more or less, and getting out of their own way. I found a, a, a really kind of uplifting piece of cinema for two hours. If you like musicals, I think you will love this. Uh, and even if you didn't like Hamilton, I think you'll probably enjoy it, because I did. Now, Lin-Manuel Miranda's in a tiny bit of controversy this week about it, because... Even though it's, you know, putting Latin Americans on screen, there's a bit of a kickback that there wasn't enough Afro-Latin Americans on screen. So he has come out and apologised for that. That notwithstanding, a decent piece of cinema. Another new movie released this week is on Netflix, and it stars Kevin Hart. Take a listen to this. Excuse me. Um, I'm sorry, AA is down the hall to the right? I'm not here for that. I'm not, I'm not here for the AA meeting. That's not why I'm here. She, uh, she just went to sleep. 
but she's been like crying for hours. I mean, hours to the point where I'm, I'm exhausted and my face hurts and I'm getting frustrated and I don't know how to break the stroller down. I don't know how to fold it up. Okay, well, sorry, but this is a group for new mothers. You're lying. Because on that sign out there, it says parents. I'm a parent and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't have nobody else to talk to about this shit. I need help. I need the crying to stop. How do I make the crying stop? Yes, now that's Fatherhood with Kevin Hart on Netflix from Friday. I should have mentioned In the Heights is in the cinemas this Friday, the 18th of June, and I'm recommending it now. But that what I was just mentioning there was Fatherhood on Netflix, also from this Friday. And it's Kevin Hart playing, at the start, a Kevin Hart type of character. He's a funny kind of guy, married to his sweetheart. And they're having a baby, his wife has a C-section, and then she dies. And he's tasked with raising the child left behind. He's tasked with overcoming his own grief. And I thought this was actually surprisingly okay. The idea of Kevin Hart wanting to do a vaguely serious role, you know, could rub you up the wrong way. He's had some questionable things in the past that he's done and was there kind of an earnestness to his decision to do this but I actually think this is you know it's cheesy but it's pretty solid because about halfway through the movie it moves I suppose past his husband's grief and to him raising his daughter when she's in I think they call it middle school in the states and his daughter is played brilliantly by a Melody Heard a young actress who's brilliant and it's all about keeping her happy, you know, helping her put her best self forward. His mother and his mother-in-law way big in her life and he wonders should his daughter be with them. He has a cast of friends who are actually quite hilarious in it. And it's, you know, it, it, it held me for the shy of two hours that it's on for and it was occasionally quite sweet and, and heartfelt, occasionally cheesy. But on the whole, you know, fatherhood, pretty much worked for, I, I don't mean fatherhood, I'm, I mean the movie fatherhood, fatherhood works for me as well, I think, you know, so far, so good, they're all still talking to me, but fatherhood on Netflix, I think is pretty okay, now if you happen to have seen it, do let me know, John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Screen Time on Newstalk. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. Now, being released next week is the movie Supernova that got its premiere at this year's Dublin International Film Festival, starring Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. They play Sam and Tusker, who spent nearly 20 years together, and they're, I guess, passionately in love with each other as they've ever been. Uh, But in the two years since Tusker was diagnosed with young-onset dementia, their lives have had to change. As Tusker's condition has progressed, Sam has been forced to place his life on hold and become his partner's full-time carer. And their time together has become, I suppose, the most important thing of their lives. And every moment now they share kind of has a weight that it didn't have before, as is understandable. So the movie takes place on the basis of a road trip that they plan, while Tusker is still able to travel to reconnect with friends and family and they visit some places of their past. Now, it's a very poignant, occasionally sad, also uplifting movie. A lot of kind of deep stuff going on in it, as you can imagine, questions about 
you know, commitment, uh, what it means to become someone's carer as opposed to their lover or, be, or or becoming both also has, you know, end of life issues in it as well. It's it, it's a powerful movie. Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are great in it, as I suppose is no surprise at this stage of their careers. It's directed by a young man called Harry McQueen, who did a movie a couple of years ago called Hinterland, which was the first carbon neutral UK feature film ever made. He was also in EastEnders. Now, he wrote and directed this, had kind of personal reasons for doing so. And I had a chat with him about the movie and a bit more besides. But I really enjoyed the movie. I want to say that at the outset, incidentally, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. (laughs) (laughs) So, Harry, I'm sure on this merry-go-round of publicity you're doing, you're probably tired telling this story, but could you just give us a brief snapshot of the personal motivation you had for making this movie? Yeah, of course. Um, Well, the the, the film started for me when I met someone. I was working with someone who had young onset dementia. So I watched that person change quite a lot over a space of time and was really, you know, obviously very moved by that. And it made me want to learn more about dementia. Just um, it just didn't out of curiosity, really. I didn't know anything about it, to tell you the truth. So Mm. I then started volunteering for some charities and ultimately spent two or three years uh, working with people who are living with dementia, mostly young onset dementia. And the film kind of came, sort of emerged from that, um, inspired by those people and all of those experiences, yeah. So in a way, the universe was almost, I don't know, forcing you, not forcing you, but telling you to make a movie about this subject matter in a way. In the end, yeah. It, it didn't start like that. Yeah. Um, because, um, yeah, it was more of a personal thing, really. But But yeah, absolutely, it did, yeah. And I think those are often those kind of stories that emerge organically are the ones that um you know become most important you know you have yeah. to tell them in a way there's a real authenticity to it. absolutely and there certainly is an authenticity to your movie you know as it happened the week before i watched your movie i watched the father with anthony yeah. hopkins and n- not that the two are similar but because there's a a blaring difference or a glaring difference in that Anthony Hopkins is in the throes of this and there's only rare moments that he's lucid. And what I found really affecting about your film was that Stanley Tucci's, his character is almost on the brink of it. He's still very cognizant and he's very aware of what's about to come. And we only get flickers of the sadness that's going to come or the, or the disability that's going to face him. Was that your sense of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that th- this, this film in the context of dementia kind of deals with quite a specific period in the dementia journey where mm. the person that's ill still has, you know, a lot of their faculties and is still able to make their own informed decisions about things mostly, um, which I found that I found that really interesting anyway, in, you know, in real life, but also the focus really was on how dementia changes love how it changes Mm. the dynamics of a relationship like you know the collateral damage of that kind of uh, diagnosis is is fascinating you know how how relationships change because of it how someone might go from being a lover to a carer yeah Um, you know that that fascinated me and I found it really inspiring actually so yeah you know I'm sorry to keep mentioning other films but I remember (laughs) going to see Brokeback Mountain in 2005 or 2006 and it was such a big deal at the time that here was this mainstream Hollywood movie with big Hollywood stars in a gay relationship and the only reason I mention that is that it was entirely incidental in a way in this story 
Mm. And that's not to do the disservice that Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are playing gay people. I mean, it's mm. just a love story. And it was interesting to me that it was so down the list of things you might read about this movie, if you know mm. what I mean. I mean, did that strike you that the mm. fact that it's a gay relationship in a way was incidental? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the um, main reasons I, I wanted to present that relationship in that way. You know, I mean, I think, firstly, we don't see a lot of same-sex relationships at that age represented yeah. on screen or in fact any any um any sexual orientation that kind of romantic love mature love isn't something we see a lot anyway mm -hmm. and also you know i was supernova is about a lot of universal things yes uh, so it, it felt yeah I, I think it's really important to to sort of tell original stories and, and hopefully you know make things that are inspiring and the idea that we could have a, a same-sex relationship that did, you know, that didn't inform the narrative in any mm. way, commented on, isn't mentioned at all by anyone in the yeah. film, felt like new territory. Yeah, and I'm really glad we did. I think it's um, one of the only films that's, that's ever really done that. I, I would yeah, say. yeah, I, I, absolutely. And you know, it, it, it's a love story, pure and simple. And I'm yeah. sure lots of people have say this to you, but you know, I happen to be married to a woman, but mm. I. I was thinking about what's going to happen down the line if her or I be in that situation. So it's very mm. much a love story, almost irregardless of sexual orientation, you know. Can yeah. I ask you then about the two amazing leads, Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth? Did you always want them when you realised you were making this movie? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it's, I don't write with actors in mind or anything, so I, I really try not... that can be problematic, because you often don't get them, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely putting boxing yourself into a corner if you're, you know, um, devoted to someone that's going to yeah. be busy. But, um, but I just think that's a good way to make a project, to not think about that too much until you have to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we got really lucky, obviously, with those guys, that they are incredible in the film, I think. Um, I think it's a bit of a masterclass what they do. And, you know, some of that is, be, you know, based on, you know, it's, it's helped at least by the fact that they are really, really good friends out of work. You know, they they love each other um, as mates. And I think you mm. can really tell uh, in, in, in the story, in the in the way they, they perform it. So it was just, yeah, a really lovely collaboration. They're, yeah, they're brilliant. They really are. Uh, you know, it's a road movie in part, which is one of, you know, the best genres ever. Were, were you aware of that, that, you know, it just putting people in a moving vehicle brings a certain, I don't know, focus to the story because there's nowhere to run. You have to stop the car to get out. Like it really works that this is a road yeah. movie, I felt. I know there's other things in it as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was a really big part of it. I think you're right. You know, you, they there's a kind of um, inevitability to the journey. Mm. Um, and they, you know, it's, it's, it's in, in a way, it's intimate, but it can be claustrophobic. But also I think, you know, I'm really interested in, movies journey movies if we can call them that you know we don't make a lot of road movies in the uk for, for various reasons so i wanted to do something original and also mm. i've just seen a lot of you know well several films that deal with similar subject matter or at least you know um to you know two-handers dramatic dramatic situations that involve people being at home and actually mm. i wasn't that kind of herb like um domestic drama wasn't something i was necessarily interested in making so sticking it on wheels felt like quite an interesting cinematic choice yeah now this was shown 
virtually at last year's, or was it this year's? I can't even remember. That's the crazy year we're all having Dublin International Film Festival. In the end, and, it was virtual. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, next week, this is going to be released in cinemas for Irish people to see. So I presume you're, you're just delighted that it's getting a big screen release. Yeah, absolutely delighted. Yeah. And I feel really lucky, to be honest. You know, it, it's um, everyone's sort of belief in the film has been, you know, uh, nonstop. And so mm. to get it in the cinema where we intended it and to have, you know, the communal experience of people watching it, you know, with strangers for a film like this is particularly important because it's, you know, it's a it's about things. It's about, yeah. you know, uh, I would say, quite important, um, uh, you know, human dilemmas. And I think it's it's really important to experience that sometimes in, in a room full of strangers on a big screen rather than you know at home I think yeah you know I was reading just I'd seen your previous movie Hinterland a while ago and I was wow. reading up about you and it said that you were in EastEnders now I haven't watched the soap in a very <laughs> long time and I had to double check it I thought is that a is, is that like a myth of the internet because these things happen all the time but yeah. you were I'm wondering what kind of experience that weekly British institution is to work on. I, I presume it's a lot different than making Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth on the road. Uh, yeah, it's a lot different. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't in it for a long time. No, but, I know yeah, that. It was, a, it was a great experience. Like the machine of those, of those, um, you know, those ongoing uh, soaps is something to behold. You know, it's yeah. kind of amazing. It just works like clockwork and it's just this enormous beast. Um, yeah. And, you know, EastEnders is a, is a show I've grown up with. So it was, it was me up. too, me too. No argument for me. And then just finally, if I can just ask you about hinterland, another thing I read on the, the internet's wonderful, by the way, it's amazing. It's <laughs> all these things I'm discovering, but it said that hinterland was the first fully carbon neutral British film Correct. ever made. And how, how does that even register? Like what was it that you did that made it carbon neutral? If you don't mind me asking. Well, we, I sort of had to work out how to do it when when we were making it because as far as I was aware, there was no one else that had done it. And it was mm. quite an important thing for me. And I think the way we did it in the end was firstly by having almost no carbon emissions from making the film, partly because there was only six people involved in the entire yeah. process. And we, we all lived in one house and you know, like the 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 outgoings were very, very small. Okay. And then and then we worked with a company um after we'd finished filming it and, and had completely packaged the film up, you know, done all the editing and everything to work out how much carbon we'd admitted. And then okay. I used some of the money that I got to, to from the distributor to um, offset that. Um, but so, yeah, it was the, the first, I think, I'm pretty sure, the first fully carbon neutral feature film. And for that reason, we didn't do a DVD release or anything because that would have completely, you know, scuppered, scuppered that. So, yeah. Okay, well, well, hats off. And then I presume, obviously, you put these guys in a car, but you, you, you made peace with the fact that you were going to burn a little carbon as they toured around the Lake District this time. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely true. But I think uh, it, on I'm the... not trying to be a smart ass, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it just popped into my head they were in a van. So I think it. Yeah, I mean, the van certainly wasn't. Um, yeah, electric, unfortunately. But I think as a as a film um, with Supernova, we we were a very small footprint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the nature again, I mean, much bigger, much bigger budget than my first film, but, yeah. um, but still in the grand scheme of things quite small and, you know, not, you know, so yeah. 
Yeah, well, look, small carbon footprint, but large emotional footprint. I really enjoyed it. And I'm delighted it's getting into the cinema, Harry. So best of luck with it. And thanks for talking to me. Thanks, John. Really nice to meet you. Can I ask you, did you want one? An autograph from him? Because I saw you looking at it. I wasn't sure if you wanted one. Tuscan. No, it's all right. He's very shy. You normally, do you have a pen on you? But if you want one, he'll sign one for you. He's shy, but he will. On either on a napkin or if you have one of his piano albums, he'll. Thanks. Okay. All right. Thank you. It's very nice of you. Thank you. How did you come to be this person? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know why I do it because it really isn't even satisfying anymore half the time. Anyway. I said, why do you do it? because of the other half. <laughs> A clip there from Supernova. And I should say Supernova is in cinemas next week and it stars Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. And it's a very good movie. Before that, you heard me talking to its director, Harry McQueen, about writing the movie and also being in EastEnders. Up next, Killian Degascu on his favourite movie. Screen Time. On News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talk's TV and movie show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well known about their favourite movie. Now, during the pandemic, one of the many things that has happened uh, that you might have even realised is that people we probably never heard of or usually wouldn't get to know are appearing regularly on our screens. People like Luke O'Neill and my next guest, Killian Degascoon, who is the director of the National Virus Lef- Reference Laboratory at UCD and, of course, a member of NEFIT. And he also happens to be a serious movie fan. And I'm delighted to say he joins me now. Hi, Killian. Hey, John. How's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. So just we'll get to your favorite movie in a minute. But from your Twitter, I can see movies play a large role, certainly in your leisure time anyway. Um, yeah, I suppose it's something that I've I've always been interested in sort of since child. Like some of my fondest memories, I guess, from childhood are of uh, my mum sort of bringing me down to the classic in Harold's Cross. I don't know if you remember that cinema. Um, and yes. then on, on special occasions, we might go into town. So the Savoy or the Carlton or... Um, the Adelphi or the Odeon, yeah. all of the ones that are closed down now. It's yeah, sort of quite sad in some respects that we've lost so many um, many of the cinemas in town. Yeah. Well, look, your favourite movie, it is one of the greatest films ever made. Mark Commode's favourite movie. Uh, tell our listeners what you've opted for as your favourite film. Um, well, I've gone for The Exorcist. I have to say, when uh, when you got in touch, it was, it was kind of difficult to sort of narrow it down to just a, a single movie. But... Um, yeah, sort of having thought about it, The Exorcist sort of came to mind because I, suppose I generally watch it sort of most years around, around Halloween. Um, and I think it, for me, it just, uh, it, it just, it aged, I think it's aged really well. I think it sort of stands up today with anything that, that, that is existing in the, um, in the horror genre. And um, it's just that classic story of, of good versus evil, I guess. Um, yeah. And, it's just the cast is fantastic. the The direction is great, um, and just yeah, I think it just it strikes me as a yeah, just just a, a modern day classic in many respects. Obviously, it was, I think it was released in seventy three, so the year before I was born. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure when I saw it for the first time, um, but I remember certainly the second or third time I saw it, I was in um, 
when it was re-released in 2000. Uh, I was working in Brisbane for a couple of years. Uh-huh. And I saw it with friends. And uh, yeah, it just it was just it was the best film I saw that year and just really sort of struck a chord. Now, you know, there are 1973, even I wasn't born then. So there are lots of people who won't know the story. Just briefly tell us what it is. I mean, it's good versus evil, but it all takes place in a very dark room. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's about, I suppose, a, a young girl, um, 12-year-old girl who's starts initially to have, I suppose, behavioral disturbances and she's brought her mother brings her to um to the doctors and to psychiatrists uh, and over over time obviously i suppose from the the title of the movie i think we guess uh, this was the audience knows what's going on but they go through the process of finally realizing that um she's a victim of demonic possession mm-hmm. and the exorcist is played by sort of max von Sydow, sort of phenomenal actor yeah and the the mother is played by ellen burston who's another great actress who just um gets in touch with this priest that she's kind of seen around um, the neighborhood really sort of in Georgetown where the movie is set. And he's, and I think, I think that's one of the, again, one of the things I really like about the movie, he's going through his own crisis of, of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's struggling. He's in, he's in a bad place. His, his mother is old and sick and uh, I suppose won't give any spoilers away, but he's struggling himself. And when, and he's a psychiatrist, he's a, he acts as a counselor for other priests. So he's sort of medically and uh, qualified as well as being a priest and mm. she gets in touch with him. And again, he's, although he's a, a man of the cloth, he's, he's a man of science as well. He tries to sort of direct her almost back to, to the doctors who have really run out of ideas at this stage. Um, so he comes and meets the, the daughter and realizes over a, sort of a, a period of a few days that this may well be demonic possession and goes to the church for permission to carry out uh, the rite of exorcism uh, and the church sends in a I suppose their their original exorcist who's a, a an older man at this stage to come and support uh, Father Damien Karras in, in carrying out the exorcism and, and it's really funny because we kind of don't get to the exorcism until probably the last, must yeah. be the last 25 minutes of the movie and it's, and it's and it's over probably over two hours and I think that's another thing I like about it is that the pace of the movie is really nice, you know. Yeah. It doesn't rush through the 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 build up um, and introducing the protagonists and the characters get time to develop. I think and and uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really enjoyable movie. It's also I don't know how you feel about it now, but I saw it last year for the first time in a, in a few years. But I, I've seen a lot. But it's still you know I'm a man of the world, but it's quietly terrifying. At least it is to me anyway. Like it may be to my mind anyway, the scariest of scary movies out there. Like it's petrifying in places. Yeah, no, I, I would agree completely. Um, and again, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons I still like it so much because uh, it's, um, it's, it's sort of very real or something. It's, you know, mm. despite the subject matter, it's, it's very plausible and it's, and it's played again with a really good cast and it's, it's played very, it's obviously played very seriously. It's not, um, it's not underestimating, I suppose, the, the seriousness of the of its subject matter. Yeah, um, no, and I, 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 and I think so. I think like it's based on a book by William Blatty, and I think yeah. he based it on. I think it was a story from uh, maybe Maryland in, in the states in the nineteen forties or something. I don't think it was. I think it was a, a young boy in the in the story, but uh, mm-hmm. or in in real life, and he sort of adapted that then into his into his book. So, um, and I guess it was a time when. 
and, and again, when we obviously growing up in Ireland, religion was quite a, a big feature here and, and the yeah. Catholic Church. And I think it's hard. I suppose I've always I've also kind of been fascinated with that idea that, you know, the right of exorcism exists. I, yeah. I think is as and again, I don't know what, what age you are, but I think as we grew up, the, the church seemed to change and sort of they downplayed the whole hell thing. Yeah. Then, you know what I mean? Purgatory went away, <laughs> hell went away. It all it all became kind of very, I don't know, sort of pleasant. And and I also <laughs> felt that was a bit wrong. I said, you, you know, you can't take the good without the bad. If you really buy into this, then on some level, you've got to accept that evil exists. And, 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 and you're right. I think this movie does a really good job of sort of, sort of displaying, well, this, this is kind of what evil looks like. Yeah. And, you know, it's not one to watch with your granny to be euphemistic about it because, you know, the, it was blasphemous considered by many at the time. Like there are certain scenes and we're before the watershed, so we won't go into it. But you can see why even now it is still deeply controversial, particularly to people of a religious persuasion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and they're still like shocking scenes, even, mm. you know, even the context of what we've seen, because like it's not it's not something like a hostel where there's just gore for yes for gore's sake or, or a saw you know it's um yeah. it's shocking but it's kind of subtly shocking given the fact that she's a young girl she had given the religious uh, nature of of the context um and yeah i, I said like because I, I watched this sort of again just before before coming on the show and uh and yeah it's still chilling yeah um, to watch it play out yeah, well, I appreciate you watching it again and uh, we'll have to up the retainer we were going to pay you. So uh, much appreciated. And it's it's very well described. So thank you for doing that. Let me ask you just a few small questions. I'm sure you're tired talking about the dreaded virus, but big picture stuff. One thing I was thinking was, you know, we, we've all, you can't get our heads around the last year or so. It's It's just been bizarre how we've ended up here. We've gotten through it. All the cliches. But for someone like you and the work you do, have you been quietly expecting something like this all your working life? Um, that's a really good question. I think I, I don't know that I necessarily expected it, but I suppose I wasn't hugely surprised. I, I guess when I was doing my training, as I, or should I say, I would have been doing my training when the first stars arrived. Um, mm -hmm. and, in, and that I would have been just in general medicine back then. And then in 2009, with the influenza pandemic, I would have been training in virology at that stage. So I kind of felt after 2009 that we kind of dodged a bullet. Um, right. Although it was a it was a, a new virus to us, it was more a, a new constellation of virus segments, if you like. So there mm -hmm. was still a lot of underlying immunity in the population. So there was always a concern that if a virus arrived, with no underlying immunity and spread as, as readily as, as the virus did in 2009, that we, that we'd be in trouble. So I, I couldn't say that I sort of knew it would happen, but I guess I wasn't surprised. And, and when you look at the, the coronaviruses and the amount of coronaviruses in bats and the, the amount of surveillance that we've done or has been done over the last 20 years, I guess it was always likely to be either, uh, either a novel influenza virus or, or novel coronavirus. Um, and, and turned out to be the latter. Okay. And did you, like, would you have known two years ago if we had a hypothesized about this, just how quickly it could spread globally? Was that always part of the, the virus? Like that it contained that even, even in the theoretical level? 
no again it's funny it's it probably i well to me i think it we probably got lucky here in some respects that we had the the lead in time wise because of where it originated yeah you know because even going back to again 2009 where, with influenza where there are different stages in a pandemic really and, and the who typically doesn't call a pandemic until you've got sort of widespread community transmission in in two sort of uh, i think it's geographically distinct distinct sort of who regions okay um, but when we first saw it emerge it seemed to be i suppose not transmitting that very fast if you like it was you know there were some imported cases in europe there were some small clusters that seemed to be contained and i suppose looking back now it's likely that what we were seeing at that stage was probably just the tip of the iceberg. So we were probably seeing the virus was probably being, being seeded across the European region, certainly at that stage, and probably in the States as well, if you look back now, um, without being, I suppose, declared or identified. And I think one of the things, if you if you were back again from a from say from my perspective, looking at the testing side of it now, mm. that being said, we didn't have the capacity. Um at, at a global level, we didn't have the capacity. But I suppose you probably would have tested more broadly in the earlier stages because I think there was probably virus, uh, I suppose, spreading around the world, I suppose, unidentified in those first few months. And then by the time the virus, I suppose, adapted and became more transmissible in humans uh, and started to cause large outbreaks and, and spread widely, it was, I suppose, the, 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 the horse had bolted, if you like, in yeah. some respects. Yeah. And the rest is history. Well, anyway, to, to better days. Then just finally, you know, I mentioned Luke O'Neill earlier. He, he's also done this lot. Is it strange for you that, you know, you know, prior to this virus and not to downgrade in any way the work you do, but you probably wouldn't have been on the radio or TV half as much had it not been for that. You wouldn't have people like me asking you to nominate your favorite movie. Is it an odd, slight career trajectory to be suddenly fielding calls from the media about a virus um yeah absolutely no you're right i i generally got a sort of an annual outing on um on morning ireland sorry for <laughs> that's quite <laughs> all right it's a wonderful institution to talk about um usually to talk about seasonal influenza actually so usually right. some every winter um when the you know when the influenza season arrived i might get a call to talk about uh, how the vaccine was matching up uh each that season with the circulating influenza strains, because I suppose in, in the National Virus Reference Laboratory, one of our, our, our roles that we sort of fulfill for government um, would be a national influenza centre for the WHO. So we would categorise the viruses that are circulating here every year and mm -hmm. see how they match up to what's in the vaccine. So that I would usually get a, an annual outing, but certainly I never really en envisaged anything like the last <laughs> 12 months. It'll be nice to, be nice to go back to... Um, a little bit of anonymity hopefully in the next couple <laughs> of years but actually I, I, if i can and um i should give a shout out to uh to imc in, in dunleary if i can you can yeah. also, you can cut this out afterwards but uh, not at all they um they sorted me out last week to to show me um a spiral which probably probably wouldn't be anywhere near as good as the exorcist but uh it was it was a good show and yeah. um 
I had the, I ended up having the cinema to myself because. <laughs> Lucky you, yeah. Uh, that's a movie I haven't seen yet, so uh, it's on my significant to-do list. Well, listen, I better let you back to the fight against the times we live in. His favorite movie is the wonderful uh, The Exorcist. Killian Degascoon, director of the National Virus Reference Laboratory at UCD Dublin, and of course, member of Neffet. Thank you for your work, and also thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks, million, John. Are you comfortable, Reagan? Yes. How old are you? Twelve. Is there someone inside you? Sometimes. Who is it? I don't know. Is it Captain Howdy? I don't know. If I ask him to tell me, will you let him answer? No. Why not? I'm afraid. If he talks to me, I think he'll leave you. Do you want him to leave you? Yes. I'm speaking to the person inside of Reagan now. If you are there, you too are hypnotized. I must answer all my questions. Come forward and answer me now. A clip there from The Exorcist, the greatest horror movie ever made. I could well be. I, I think the first Omen is up there as well, but uh, it's it's spine-tingling horror movie. My my thing about horror is that we don't do a huge amount of it on this show, but most horror movies don't scare me. A lot of them bore me. I mean, some of them entertain me, but the ones that actually scare the bejesus out of you, there's not that many of those. But by golly, The Exorcist certainly is. And my thanks to Killian de Gascoon for choosing his favourite movie, and I guess, you know, for all the work he's done for the last 15, 16 months on this dreaded virus. So my thanks to him. That is it for this week. Next week on the show, I'm very excited about this, the new Netflix documentary, Sophie, A Murder in West Cork, all about the case of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier, the new Netflix series. I talked to the makers of that. A uh, fascinating watch, I have to say, because I've already watched it. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. You can get in touch with me about any movie, TV related matter. John underscore Farty is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. I want to thank Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show. Have a great week and talk to you all next week.